I should have been skipping on my way up here with that music going on. It's December. Are you guys excited? The Advent season is here. You're all a bunch of Scrooges. First service was a little bit more excited than that. It's Advent season. Today is the first official day of Advent. And we're jumping into this sermon series called A Misfits Christmas, like Neil mentioned. We're going to be taking a look at Christmas. Uh, you know, it's a common narrative story that you guys, have, you, you guys know the story of the nativity. You've probably somehow, some point in your life, even if you've never read it in the Bible, you've had some kind of connection with it. And we're going to be taking a look at it, not from, from our above, like we know what happens in the end, redeemed God view, looking down on it. But we're actually going to get down into the nitty-gritty, in the midst of the story, what's going on in the lives of the people who are living it out, and discover how God works through misfit people and in misfit situations. Because it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, what you've experienced, all of us at some point have felt like and have been misfits. Am I right? You guys are with, at some point you felt like you've stuck out like a sore thumb, that you didn't belong, that at some point you were a misfit. And even if you've never seen the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer stop-motion claymation classic and don't even know who the island of misfit toys are, if you're not familiar with them, if I just begin to describe them to you, you can see and understand what this looks like and feels like. You know, like a jack-in-the-box whose name is Charlie... I mean, that, come on, man, a, a doll that is suffering an existential crisis, I mean, that's, that's tough. A bird who doesn't fly but swims, a cowboy who rides an ostrich, which that one's kind of cool. I mean, I, I'd like to ride an ostrich sometime, a water gun that shoots jelly. I mean, you, you kind of get the idea that at some point in your life, you've been a misfit. Now, for me, my experience, and some of you know this, I've shared, sh- shared this with some of you. When I was a kid growing up in elementary school, I got made fun of because of my lip had a jacked up lip, and if you were to look closely, you can still see the results of that, but I actually had surgery to repair that because of how much I got made fun of. I didn't have a glowing red nose like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it's kind of like that. Now, uh, I just have a messed up pinky from an injury, and every time I try to put on a glove, um, I realize that gloves are, and they're just biased to fully functioning phalanges, and I think that's, that's awful. It shouldn't be that way. Some, something in our life has just been slightly off, or maybe not quite working out the way we had hoped. Maybe we even feel disconnected from what we thought we were designed for, what we thought our life was going to turn out and be. And whether it's physical or mental or circumstantial brokenness that makes us a misfit, it's not just a story, story about toys. It's a human story, and it's also a Christmas story. In fact, it's brokenness that, that even brings us together here in this room this morning, on Sundays, brokenness is, is what brings us together in worship because at some point along the way in our lives, we realized that something was messed up. Something was not quite right. It was a little bit off. And we discovered somewhere along the way that the only thing that could be a solution for that is a perfect God who helped us through it and made us whole in the midst of our brokenness. The church is kind of a spiritual island of misfit toys, where we're brought together because of our imperfections and because we don't want to be alone in that. However, it's not just about our brokenness. It's not just about us kind of coming together and commiserating and feeling bad about ourselves and how we stick out like sore thumbs in our lives. It's also about living out the hope that we have through Jesus from God that he will take our brokenness and bring us together to make us whole. 
And so we're going to actually look at Matthew chapter 1 and look at the first 17 verses of the chapter first before we really get into the Christmas story, because that has a lot to do with what Matthew is trying to tell us about Jesus and his birth story. Matthew chapter 1, if you've turned there, you kind of know what's at the beginning of Matthew. Most of you have never read these verses. We just skip over these because it's a list of names. And who wants to read a list of names? Like that's kind of, when I was growing up in church, there was this guy uh, that he would read list of names like in the Old Testament or something like that, and he would just mumble names that he couldn't pronounce. So he would just mumble verses 17. Y'all are mumblers like through, through all those verses in Matthew chapter 1 maybe. Well, there's some very significant things that Matthew is pointing out and communicating as he's writing out this list of names. This is the genealogy of Jesus. This is his background. This is his family tree, where he's come from. And Matthew does this really interesting thing that most people don't do when they write genealogies back then. He includes four names of four women that stick out. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, who is Bathsheba. Now, at first blush, you might think, oh, well, and if you're not familiar with those names, you you might think, oh, Matthew is pointing out these really famous Israelite women, I'm sure, to show that Jesus comes from this grand pedigree of people, and this is how God moves and works through in this situation. This is how God would bring the Son of God into the world. But you start doing some research and looking back, and you realize that the people who originally read Matthew's words would have thought, what is Matthew trying to say here? These are really broken, messed up situations. Tamar, for example, you can read about her in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar, um, she tricked her father-in-law to giving her children. That's kind of crazy. So Matthew, what are you getting at here? Like, why are you including that story? Is that really... Like, is that really part of the story of Jesus that you want to highlight? And then Rahab, Rahab is interesting. You can read about her in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab was a proprietor of an inn with benefits. So so Matthew, like, what's going on here? Why why are you talking about her? And Rahab has a really interesting story because she helps the Israelites take down her home city. And in Joshua chapter 6, she's actually invited to become a part of the, the Israelite nation, which is really, really interesting. So that's kind of strange. Now, Ruth is kind of cool. Ruth has a whole book devoted to her story in the Old Testament. So you can look in your Old Testament and read the book of Ruth and see her story. But even that's kind of strange because Ruth is a foreigner. She's a Moabite. She's not from the nation of Israel, and yet she's included. It's kind of neat that she's the great-grandmother of King David, who's the most famous king of the Israelite nation, but it's still kind of weird that she's there. And then the wife of Uriah doesn't even spell out her name. Like, what's up with that? Well, her name is Bathsheba. And you can read more about her story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's a little weird how she and the king, David, at the time got together. She becomes, becomes the mother of Solomon, who brings in like the best era of peace and, and, and wealth and all that kind of stuff for the Israelite nation. But the way that she and David got together was through adultery and murder. So, so Matthew, like this is this is kind of weird, man. That you're that you're highlighting these situations, these scenarios in Jesus' life. But these aren't just the four women that are named in this genealogy. He names a fifth as well, and her name is Mary, and she's the mother of Jesus. And so Matthew is doing something very significant here. He's pointing out something very significant about the birth story of Jesus, and making a significant statement about what God does with misfit people 
and misfit situations. And even in how Jesus has come into the world and in his family tree, God shows that he loves to and will use brokenness to bring about wholeness in this world. See, Mary is often venerated because she's the mother of Jesus. But the reality is, in that moment, initially, her pregnancy was as scandalous and gossip-worthy as the other women that Matthew mentioned. That when people looked at her and heard about her pregnancy, they didn't know about the promise from the angel. And even if she shared it with them, they wouldn't have believed her. They were expecting something else had happened to her. It wasn't the explanation that anyone else was going to accept. And this, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is how the Son of God is born into the world. See, Joseph is left to wonder whether or not somebody had forced themselves onto Mary. He was left to wonder whether or not she had cheated on him with somebody else. Everybody else in the community was wondering if one of those options had happened or maybe, um, maybe Mary and Joseph had gotten together before they were officially you know, married and had a kid. All of these things were broken and scandalous situations. And because Joseph was was a righteous man. He was trying to do the right thing, do something, you know, that would have followed the law. He was going to break off the marriage. This was a completely misfit situation in which Jesus was born. He planned to divorce Mary quietly. He could have dragged everything out into the open and humiliated her and shown everybody else, hey, it wasn't me. This is, this is completely something else that happened. And most of the time would have thought that he would have been justified. But this is how the Son of God came into the world. We continue in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. By all outward appearances, Mary and Joseph's relationship had become completely broken. Mary becomes a mother completely unplanned and out of sync with her engagement to Joseph. Joseph is making this tough decision on how to deal with this, at some point he would have believed was a betrayal of their relationship. And regardless, he was faced with the prospect of raising a child that was not his own. Not to mention the rumors that both of them and the treatment both of them would have to face as a result of this scenario that would have left them feeling isolated as if they were on an island themselves. And yet God used this family and this scenario to bring the Messiah, the Son of God, the newborn King, into the world to save his people from their sins. The only non-misfit who has ever lived came and was born in an incredibly misfit way. And what this does and what this communicates and what it shows is how much God cares and loves us in the midst of our brokenness and misfit situation. That he absolutely could have ushered in Jesus. Jesus could have been born in the best possible scenario, in the best possible situation, with the best possible loving, supportive, 
scenario that you could possibly imagine. And he would have been right to have done so because we're talking about God here. He's perfect. And yet he brings Jesus in in a scenario that many of us have never even come close to experiencing how broken that, that he is. And he does this to communicate his love and his concern and his desire to work in our broken circumstances to bring about wholeness. It's why for us as a church, helping people is a part of our mission. It's that first third in our mission of helping people find Jesus and love God. It's, it's how we accomplish what we're here to exist for. As we know and understand that God uses broken situations and scenarios in us to work in those in order to show people Jesus, to show people his solution for others. And so one of the things that's cool that we get to do about that, we, we actually had this Christmas movie night last night, which was awesome. And some of you actually have been, uh, we had this sign up for Fresh Start for Single Mothers and Their Children and gifts to bring in that so they could have a great, in for that, so they could have a great Christmas. You guys have been all signed up for that. The gifts are in and have brought those in, which is amazing. I'm really excited about that I'm getting to. Actually, Sylvia, this is a side note. If any of you want to play Santa Claus December 7th, I need somebody, I know some of you would be great at that. So come see me if you want to play Santa Claus for Fresh Start December 7th. All right, back on track. And, and so one of the things that we're going to do, um, that, that was kind of a, a great kickoff for that, but we're going to have a, our Velocity Advent offering gift. And what we're going to do is uh, have this gift actually in benefit for people who are in scenarios much like Mary and Joseph. Uh, and so we're going to actually be collecting diapers for the Pregnancy Resource Center of Metro Richmond. The Pregnancy Resource Center uh, actually is just down the road, and they sit in the midst of three uh, abortion clinics that are here in the Richmond area, and what they do is they support and provide free care and uh, appointments and ultrasounds and all that kind of stuff for mothers, and they care for fathers as well that find themselves in a scenario in which they uh, are unplanned parents. And so we're going to uh, help them out and support them as they support those young families as well. So uh, as you're grocery shopping or as you're picking up paper towels or whatever doing, pick up a box or two of new diapers, uh, new disposable diapers, uh, sizes newborn through size six, and we will collect those through Christmas Eve, and that'll be amazing, and we'll show some light in the midst of brokenness that way as a church. See, it's through opportunities like that, not just like big church opportunities that, that we have to come together and do this, but everyday opportunities that we have to show light and wholeness in the midst of brokenness that, that God, God has given us that responsibility and shown us that example through his son. In Matthew 1, verses 22 and, and through 25, all that Matthew writes, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. See, once Joseph and once Mary had seen past just their immediate circumstance and the things that they thought, hey, this just makes us misfits and stick out in this scenario. Once they saw past that and realized the significance of the events that were happening in their life, not that they could see this far down the road and, and know exactly how significant they would be, their faith in God's presence being in the midst there with them in their brokenness caused them to move past their focus on their circumstances to, be, to being focused on what God had called them to do in their lives. And he and Mary became parents of the Son of God. 
And likewise, when we move from focus on our circumstance to focusing on what God has for us to do in our lives, to focus on following His will, His will for our lives, not only do we begin to be made whole, we're also part of the brokenness of others being healed. The failures, the addictions, the being let down, the rejection, the sin, the fear, the shame, the jacked up pinkies, these things break us and they leave us as misfits. They break our families and they break our friendships and our neighbors and leave us isolated from each other. But the reason that Joseph and Mary were able to come back together in the midst of their brokenness is they trusted the message from God that they were given and they lived out what they had called him to do in their lives. And they discovered, as we can, that wholeness comes from pursuing that godly character that God has called us to in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. There is no brokenness that you have or will experience in your life that can keep you from that truth when you live out your faith and trust in God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul encourages the church at Rome in the midst of their misfit, brokenness, suffering, how God has designed for us to live out our faith no matter what's happening in our life. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And this is the pattern. I mean, this is, a, this is the pattern of the Christmas story. This is the pattern of our stories that, that God identifies through Paul here is that we're all going to suffer at some point, but we have the decision whether or not that suffering, if we place it in full context of God sending his son Jesus to take care of the suffering for us, if that's going to lead to perseverance, to character, to the hope that God has poured out his love into our lives through the Holy Spirit, which is exactly how it's described to Joseph and to Mary as to what has happened. Yeah, this scenario, I get that you feel that it's not ideal, but if you stick with me in this, and if you follow my will for you in this, you're going to experience and discover the hope of God is going to take care of anything that you feel is uncomfortable in this scenario, Mary and Joseph. That you're going to experience, and people are going to experience through you, because of what you're willing to do, the love that God has poured out through the Holy Spirit for the entire world to save all people from their sins. And I want you to consider Mary post-Jesus' resurrection. And if somebody would go up to her and ask her, hey, do you remember that moment in your life where you felt like a misfit, like an outcast, that people were talking about you, they were gossiping about you, they were talking about your pregnancy, they were talking about your relationship with Joseph, and all the rumors that were flying around about you. Do you remember how you felt then and the uncomfortableness that you felt, the disconnection from who you always wanted to be and who you thought God wanted you to be? Do you remember how it felt then? Would you trade that? Like, would you trade a perfect scenario where none of that had happened so you didn't have to feel that way in that moment that you didn't have to go through and probably still experience some of the pain that you went through in that moment. Like now that you've seen the resurrected Jesus and the hope and the love that he's poured out to all mankind through you, like would you, would you trade those? And that's the perspective that we're given. That's the perspective that Paul is sharing to his church in Rome. That's the perspective that we get to take 
when it comes to this life, that no matter how broken mentally or physically or circumstantially we may feel, that God makes up the difference for us with Jesus. Whatever brokenness that's been made whole in your life, or that you feel is leaving a hole in your life, that, that's a space in which God wants to fill through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to show the joy and hope of this season. In 1964, when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, when it first aired on TV, did anybody see that original airing? All right, a couple of you did. A couple of people in first service. Don't laugh. What are you laughing? Some people are laughing. Tiny, you, t- you take care of him, man. All right, so um, in that first showing, Rankin and Bass, when they, when they did that first production, you might not know this, but they had the whole scene in there with the Island of Misfit Toys and Hermie the Elf and Yukon Cornelius and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, they say, hey, we're going to come back, and we're going to bring Santa, and Songbee, we're going to find a place for you. In the original airing of that, they never came back. Yeah, that's how everybody else reacted, apparently, because Rankin and Bass, the producers, ended up getting letters from all over the place from kids all across America saying, this should not be. This is crazy. Like, you didn't bring any resolution to this. What about their promise for the misfit toys? Like, they didn't care about Rudolph, like, in his light showing in the snow. They wouldn't know what happened with the misfit toys. There's something about us that even as kids in Naley that we recognize that this brokenness, that the misfit thing, like, that's, there's something not right about that. That should be made whole. And so Rankin and Bass actually went back and produced a whole nother scene and popped it on to the end of the episode so people could see, no, actually, there is resolution for those misfit toys, and they did find a home, and they were given that purpose, and they were made whole again, and that is the story that we get to discover and know and live out with Jesus, is that God saw our brokenness, and he didn't leave us in it and say, hey, you better climb up this mountain on your own and get to this place. He sent Jesus in the midst of that to make us whole. The places in which we're weak and misfits and broken are the places that God sent Jesus to heal us. And in the season of Advent, we look to the second coming of Jesus, to a time and period where we won't have to mourn about that anymore. There won't be the suffering, there won't be the sickness, there won't be the pain, there won't be the tears, there won't be the broken relationships. We won't feel like misfits anymore. However, there's also a reality that we get to live out and into now that God has done through Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. As a Christ follower, you have been made whole now. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You've been made whole now as a Christian. That new creation, that resurrection life, you and I are called into that now because our brokenness made whole is the testimony of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection that others get to experience Jesus was sent to be with us, to mend us, and give a place for us. And we get to share that and live that out. And so I just want, want you to consider this week, if you have brokenness in your life, what is the godly character? What is the situation that you're in? And how is God calling you to move through that? Are you in the midst of suffering right now? 
What does it look like for you to live out God's calling in your life to move through to perseverance in the midst of that suffering? The character that that will take that will produce the hope and help us to recognize and keep our focus on the love that has been poured out to us. Like Mary, are you being called to accept a circumstance that you're in? That you'd love to change and you'd love for it to be different, but you know you just you need to give that over to God and let him handle it the only way he can. Or like Joseph, are you being called to maybe step into a circumstance that you, you never wanted for yourself, that you never planned for, that you said, no, this is not my ideal situation. Maybe God's calling you to that in what he wants for you to do in and through you. Or like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, is the Holy Spirit working your life for a picture that's much bigger than you could ever possibly ask for or imagine from God, and that if you would commit to trusting in the hope that God offers through his son Jesus, that you know that one day you will experience the joy from that. May you experience and share the love of God that is being poured out on you through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us through Jesus. And may you share that with others this Christmas season who are desperately searching for that healing and that wholeness in their broken and misfit lives. May you share that. May you invite your, pe- your people, your friends, your family, your neighbors who don't go to church with you to experience and discover what that looks like. May you live out your faith so that people can see the birth and resurrection of Jesus lived out in your life. May we celebrate the season of Advent together as misfits who have been made whole. Right now in our service, uh, we're going to celebrate in a little bit of, different, little bit of a different way, uh, like we do every week at Velocity. And we're going to take cum- communion together. We're going to take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice that reminds us of what Jesus did for us so that we could be reconciled to God. That our worship and how we live our lives and, and how we approach our circumstances and our brokenness all comes down to this point, that Jesus came He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised again so that we can be redeemed to God, so that we can live a new life, a resurrection life, and experience that together. So let's pray as we take communion and continue our worship together. God, we thank you for the hope of Christmas, the story of Jesus, and we thank you for um, how you sent Jesus to know that he wasn't sent above us, but he was actually sent in the midst of us, so that we could come to you. So there would be no distance, so that we wouldn't be isolated on an island by ourselves, but that we could be reconnected and rejoined with our creator. God, we ask that you give us the strength and the courage to know that, to believe it, and even in the midst of doubt and pain, to live it out and trust in it. God, we thank you for... um, The fact that we don't have to do that alone, that we get to come together and worship together and live out that faith with each other to support each other. And we ask that you bless all of those things in Jesus' name.